I'll just speak a little bit more about these eight worldly winds or eight worldly conditions. Uh, in the in the suttas, they're translated as conditions, which is kind of what they are. But uh, kind of colloquially, they're known as the worldly winds. I think it's a good expression because they do blow us around this way and that. And, uh, you know, we can be like a leaf in the wind being fluttered here and fluttered there, or we can find a stability and a rootedness in, really in presence, in awareness, and in the Dharma, in, in understanding the truth of the way things are. So I'll kind of come back to that a little bit later on. But I uh, just want to uh, look a bit more closely at those eight worldly winds or conditions. And the Buddha says, The eight worldly conditions revolve around the world, and the world revolves around the eight worldly conditions. So gain and loss, fame and disrepute, praise and blame, and pleasure and pain. So, uh, of course, one can't avoid these things. They are worldly conditions. They're part of living in the world. And uh, I think anyone who who looks really honestly will see that, I think particularly pleasure and pain, very obvious, you know, the, not just the human race, but pretty much any living living being will move towards pleasure and away from pain. And uh, so it's not to say there's something wrong in doing that, but it's understanding that you know, when we have a sensitive body and mind, we will experience pleasure and pain. And we can't experience one and not experience the other. You know, if the, if the body can feel, it can feel pleasure and it can feel pain. And even people try very hard <laughs> to only experience pleasure. You know, it, uh, it just ends up in a mess. So you end up getting addicted, and then you, you know, then you kind of want more and more of that pleasant feeling, and then in order to get it, you end up doing more and more crazy things, and get more and more sort of distanced from yourself and from nature and from your friends and family, and ultimately more and more unhappy and lonely. So, following, trying to follow pleasure and avoid pain leads to more and more pain for oneself and others. And trying to avoid pain creates a lot of suffering in the present because then we're maybe we're afraid of of getting ill. We might be quite healthy, you know, have a good life, but we're afraid what if I get something or other, you know, what if I get cancer, what if I get, what if I break my leg, what if something happens? And then so we, we fill the present moment with a fear of something that we might experience in the future even though it's not actually happening. You can see how crazy it is, can't you? But it's what we do. And uh, so, you know, trying to avoid pain and trying to run, out of, run after pleasure, even though they're natural, they, they both lead to suffering. And, you know, life will give us both of those experiences. So, um, the... The teaching is to understand, the Buddha says that the, for the uninstructed worldling, so this means one who hasn't, hasn't heard the Dhamma, doesn't understand the Dhamma, they don't reflect, when pleasure arises, they don't reflect, oh, this is pleasure, 
and this is impermanent. It can't give me lasting happiness and it's subject to change. They don't think like that because they don't, they just think, oh, this is nice, I want more of it. And then he says, for the, for the instructed uh, noble disciple of the Buddha, so one who has heard the teaching and who understands the teaching, so we're running out of excuses here, they, uh, you know, they reflect on this is pleasure so, and, and it's impermanent. It won't give me lasting satisfaction and it's subject to change. So that might sound like a bit of a downer, you know. I have pleasure immediately to think about, oh, it's changing, it's not going to give me happiness. And, <laughs> and, but, but in reality, when we really know the truth of impermanence, then we can fully open to the pleasure in the moment, knowing that it's changing. So, you know, seeing a beautiful experience. I sent the actually describes in seeing the, the deer in that moment, oh, opening up. You know, the mind opens up and there's this kind of, oh, beautiful forest, the deer, spirit rocks, safe, lovely place. And there's an opening, but it's not like grasping after the deer. Oh, where's my camera? I've got to take a photo, I've got to tell people, you know. <laughs> You're just with it in the moment. So when you really understand impermanence, and when you really know impermanence, it's like allowing the moment to arise and be fully here and pass. So you can eat a uh, I don't know, chocolate sundae with great presence and great enjoyment and know that it passes and know that maybe another inch will go onto your waistline after eating it. <laughs> so you're kind of doing it really consciously, you know. And, then, and you've got a choice. You're not, you're not totally stuck on it. You've got to have it, got to have it. And, and then suffering because you put a bit of weight on or you have to have another filling in your teeth or... You know, but it's like it's taking in the whole picture. So you're knowing the, you're knowing pleasure as pleasure, and you know it's it's uh, experience, the, the feeling of it, the gratification that comes through it for for a little while, and that that gratification also passes, and then there's the wanting again. So it's knowing the whole of that story, and uh, and when you know that, then you can open to pleasure as it is. You don't have to be afraid of it and you don't have to run after it. It's, it's Pleasure arises and you can be fully with it. Enjoy it and then not to pine when it passes. And with pain, you know, we, it's inevitable when we have these physical bodies that we're going to experience some pain. And also these sensitive hearts. So, you know, we have physical pain and emotional pain. And it can't be avoided. I know when I was young, when I was a teenager, or maybe a bit younger, I first I heard the expression "growing pains," and I was thinking, "Oh God, you know, I can't wait till these growing pains are over. It's so so painful." Now I realise oh, they're, they're never over. You know, <laughs> it's just it's an ongoing process. You maybe have little times of respite in between, but growing pains. You know, we keep growing, we keep growing, and then we have to grow out of how we were. We have to let go of what we once held on to or believed in and, and then move on. So that's just how it is on this, uh, in this human life. <coughs> and uh, physical pain, you know, might... Uh, I mean, certainly as we get older, there's more aches and pains, it's very natural. And uh, maybe if we have an illness, 
there can be chronic pain. Um, you might have had an accident. I had a, a kind of quite a bad accident when I was about 15 and experienced very, very intense pain for some months. And there was nothing I could do. So, you know, I couldn't move, <laughs> stuck in bed on the traction. And there was this experience of intense pain and then knowing, okay, this is what pain feels like, you know. There was no, there was no, there was no point in getting angry or t- yelling at anyone or feeling it's raw. It's just, this is, this is, life has brought this now and, and it's like this. And uh, when one can be really with pain, when you're really, really present with pain, it is just what it is. It's not something you would, you know, definitely, it's not something you would seek out. <laughs> but it's just this, you know, it's just this sensation. And it's also, it's changing. Even, even if it feels like it's going on and on and on, if you're really with it, you can see, oh, it changes, it, it vibrates, it, it has different intensities. And maybe even when I'm sleeping, I'm not aware of it, and wake up again, there it is again. So it's not constant, it's impermanent. And, uh, you know, even if uh, we have a, a, a terminal illness or a, you know, <laughs> human life in some ways, <laughs> it's, 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 you know, it's terminal, it's not going to last forever. But if, if we're old and the body's painful or if we have an illness, that's also going to end at some point, that the pain isn't going to be forever. I remember, I mean, it may sound a little funny, strange that I say that, but I, I remember in a meditation... Um, when I was first learning to meditate, and I used to go to a, a meditation group in the monastery, where they would we'd sit for an hour, walk for an hour, sit for an hour, and then have a bit of discussion. It was quite long for a new meditator, and uh, I'd be sitting there with incredible pain in my legs, knees, hips, and because I wasn't used to sitting on the on the ground. And I remember this monk talking about uh, being with pain and. And that it's it's all right, and it will change, you know. And then he said, even if it changes, even if it only changes when you die, <laughs> it will change. And there was something about when he said that. It was something just kind of went, oh, it's okay, you know. Something that we just sort of let go because I realised, it, it, you know, if I contract around it and wait for it to finish, it's it's much more painful. It's much more intense. Much more unpleasant. But if I can open and know. Yeah, this is pain, it feels like this. It's unpleasant. I, you know, I'm not keen for it to be around, but it's here. And it will change at some point. You know, then, then there's, a, like there's a letting go around the experience. And kind of magically, sometimes that, that letting go in itself can allow the pain to, to release. So, you know, just recognising this is part of life. We... Do, we as part of our survival, we move towards pleasure and we move away from pain. This is kind of built into the biological system. But with uh, wise reflection, you can know whether it's pleasant or painful. This is changing. It's not going to give me lasting satisfaction. It's dukkha. And it's, uh, it's not ultimately who and what I am. So we can see also that as we, as we practice the awareness itself, the awareness that knows pleasure and the awareness that knows pain, we get to recognize the awareness itself more strongly. And that awareness, it isn't, um, 
it isn't actually directly influenced by the by what it's being aware of. Just like a mirror doesn't really mind if you put a beautiful face in front of it or a, or a really horrible Halloween mask. It doesn't mind. It's just a mirror. So the awareness is similar to that. Our awareness, the na- the natural awareness, is similar to that. It doesn't. It's not upset by pain. It's not excited by pleasure it knows all of it but it's the it's the it's like the 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 deluded heart or the deluded mind that that gets excited gets frightened gets averse the awareness is holding it all it's bigger than all of it so we can learn to develop that awareness and get a strength of awareness and we can do it with the little the little pleasures the little pains first and that kind of builds up um, a greater capacity. And uh, I was thinking about praise and blame. So the Buddha says that there's, there's never been anyone who's, who's, only, who's received only praise. And they're not even a Buddha, even the Buddha himself didn't receive only praise. So, uh, you know, for myself, I remember when I, again, when I first went to live in Amravati Monastery, I really, really, really didn't want to be blamed for anything. I wanted to, didn't want to do anything wrong. I didn't want to be blamed. And it was really, a, like, it was actually painful. It felt very painful to be blamed for anything. So I'd try really hard to do everything I was supposed to do. And, you know. and of course, inevitably, in a, in a community, <laughs> you're going to do something wrong or upset somebody. It's, it's kind of inevitable. Or forget something or be late for something. So, of course, then, uh, then I'd be blamed and then there'd be this kind of, uh, you know, um, contraction around being blamed, and then I came across this this little quote of the Buddha. You know, nobody has there has never been anyone who has been only praised and never blamed. And it's like, oh, that's kind of a relief. You know, it's not like I'm supposed to be a perfect person who never does anything wrong. But uh, you know, you do your best. You have a good intention, and you keep cultivating what's good and working on the parts that need to be worked on. And know that you're going to receive praise and you're going to receive blame in life. Maybe even for the same thing. Some people will praise you, some people will blame you. That's, that's kind of how it is. And uh, you know, naturally we all respond to praise. And you can really see it when somebody's praised. Most people, not everyone, most people kind of go, Oh, thank you. You know, you kind of light up and... You've just felt, oh, I've been seen. Somebody really appreciated me. It's, it's a really good feeling. Um, and, and some people cringe when they're praised. There's a few people who kind of, shut up, leave me alone. I don't like it. Because, um, you know, when we're praised, there's a certain sort of, almost like a little inflation of the self happens. And that can be a nice feeling or it can be something you really don't want to feel. But I would say, you know, allow the feeling to be there. Don't, don't judge it. Just let it be there. Let that feeling of like, hmm, you know, let it be there. It doesn't have to be squashed. It doesn't have to become a big ego trip either. It's just that sense of like, oh, how nice. And uh, I think it's very important in, the, in this... this um, pair of, of praise and blame to, to know your past conditioning because we really have to we really have to 
meet this practice from where we are and not from some ideal of, of how we think we should be. <coughs> so if we've uh, been raised in a way where we've been blamed a lot, either you get blamed or ignored, then uh, probably praise it would be quite painful, actually. It might be a little overwhelming. But then we need to strengthen the, the praise side of things. So we even to, our, to ourselves learn to start telling oneself, you know, you did really well, that was, you did a really good job there, you're doing all right. You can, we can kind of coach ourselves to redress that balance. Because if we're used to always noticing what's wrong, then we can be doing, you know, 98% of the things really well and, and 2% not very well, and we'll just notice the bit, the 2%, and, and fixate on that and blame ourselves, or we might you know, do that to ourselves or to others. So people feel, oh, I don't want to be around that person, they you know, never, can never do anything right for them, you know, because they, they home in on what's wrong, because of past conditioning. So we, we need to be really kind of conscious and aware of what is our past conditioning, you know, were we, were we blamed a lot, were we um, not uh, shown what we, do, what we did well? And if that's the case, then we need to show ourselves what we did well or maybe hang out with a good friend who can show us what we do well and if we were praised for certain things and ignored for other things we might feel like we've always got to please people we've always got to do something to to get praise otherwise we don't really feel secure so that's also a bit of a trap so in in that sense we have to you know be like look look inwards and see what is my intention what is my intention and am I living by my intention and if I am then you know I don't have to go out of my way to make that person feel happy and praise me I can rest in my own good action and good intention it doesn't have to be validated by somebody outside but if you know if we don't have a clear intention, we're confused, then then we need that external validation. So uh, certainly, as children, you know, it makes a big difference if we if the children are praised and encouraged, you know, much uh, greater sense of confidence and, and self-respect and, and happiness. And if there's a lot of, of blaming and, and telling off. Then uh, it can be can be rather um, low self esteem, or maybe even you know just trying to find ways to, to dull the pain in drugs or uh, video games or whatever it might be, just to dull the feeling of I'm a bad person. Because in reality, nobody there are no bad people. We're not ultimately bad people. People do bad things, but everybody has the potential for awakening. So uh, we have to really kind of come back to that, the heart of that, and see how we can nourish our own goodness and uh, strengthen our intention and, and follow that through. And then whether we're praised or whether we're blamed, it's kind of okay, because we know what we're doing. Um, there was a situation actually when we lived in... <laughs> I it's okay to say, but when we lived in, in England as, as, as nuns there, we were kind of between two cultures. 
So the part of the Thai forest tradition, a lot of Thai people would come and support the Sangha. And then also Westerners in a Western world. So Westerners would also come. And, and in terms of the nuns, you know, the, in, in, in the Thai culture, generally the nuns are, are kind of cooking and cleaning and working and, and taking care of the monks. And uh, are not kind of wearing the brown robe. Usually they wear white robe. Not wearing the brown robe and not having an equal status to the monks in most places. And uh, in in the West, people want to see men and women on equal status. So it was an interesting situation where whatever you did, half the people would say, "Yay, that's really great," and the other half would say, "That's really bad." And if you did it the other way around, it would be the other way around. So it's kind of like, well, whatever you do, is going to be somebody's going to be blaming you for it or praising you for it, you know. So there's this kind of impossible situation. But the, the good thing about it is that in the end, you just come back to your own integrity because you know you're not going to get it right because people have got different criteria of what is right. So you just have to follow what is right inside. And then that, uh, even though it's not necessarily a comfortable position to be in, it does bring a real sense of integrity and clarity within oneself. So we can't really rely on the external world to tell us truly what is right and what is wrong, but we can really know it inside. And uh, fame and disrepute. So the Buddha was very... um, he was he was very careful around fame, even though he was he was, became very famous in his time, and he obviously still is. He was uh, very cautious around not becoming famous. You see, there was a, a sutta where he's he goes into a, into a town, and uh, a lot of people, a lot of Brahmins, get together and all excited. Oh, the Buddha's coming, and let's offer him a big meal, and they're all kind of getting all excited, and and he hears all this going on, and and he recognizes, oh, they're doing this, they're doing this for me. And then he says uh, to one of the monks he's with, he says, I don't want to become famous. I don't want to be famous. And uh, I'm not sure whether he actually leaves or whether he receives the offering and then kind of moves on. But you know, he was uh, kind of wary of it. And there's, there's quite a few uh, suttas where he warns about uh, you know, getting too prestigious, too well-known. Because it can affect, you know, it's very easy for the ego to get excited about it. I mean, I think the Buddha wasn't in that position, actually. But for most uh, ordinary people, it's very easy to, to sort of get lost in that, uh, in the projections, really, that other people put on you when you're in a um, kind of famous position. And a few people can handle it really well, and, and a lot of people, you know, get stoned and... Uh, get lost in, in the kind of sense world or uh, in sex. You know, that's also happens with uh, spiritual leaders. More often it would be good that it happens because there's, it's kind of get lost in the projections that people put onto you and you can't tell anymore you know, what's right and what's wrong. So you're kind of warned about fame. But if one does have uh, end up you know, becoming famous for whatever reason, then... To recognise this is impermanent. It's not who I am. It's not me. It's not mine. It will change. People will forget about me. And uh, disrepute. You know, if, if people uh, see you in a bad light, and if, if 
people um, think that you're a, you know, you're a no good and useless, whatever, then you know, that can be painful, and, but you just know it. It's like, okay, now they're saying those things about me. And it seems to be with every, all of these celebrities, you know, you get all of it, don't you? You get the, how wonderful they are and then digging up the dirt, you know, what can we say about what's wrong with them and that's sort of how it goes. So, you know, the Buddha's saying, just know it all as impermanent. Don't, don't get caught up in it. It's not, it's not real. And, uh, you know, even if, it, like we're speaking about fame and then people like Elvis Presley and so on, but even little things, you know, we might be, it can be a, in a, in a smaller situation at work or even with your kids at school or whatever, that, that you know, you, you, get, you become a kind of high profile for a while. And it's also just to see what, that, what happens around that. You know, there are people who look up to you, think it's great, and then there's people who want to pull you down, who are jealous and you know, resentful feel small in your company and this kind of thing. So it's kind of, you know, it's not uh, necessarily an enviable position to be in. So just kind of recognizing the the dukkha of those um, conditions. And then gain and loss, which we're experiencing all the time. All the time we gain and we lose. We gain a friendship and then maybe lose a friendship. We gain material things, and then maybe, uh, I mean, at this time, you know, a lot of people, with the economy being bad, a lot of people lose their work, people have lost their houses, and uh, we never know, you know, we never know when we're going to gain, when we're going to lose. So to develop a certain equanimity in the midst of it all, that is okay, you know. That is okay if if things go really well and uh, you know a lot comes in and it, it's abundant. And it's okay if that falls away and uh, it's more of a struggle, because the the happiness isn't dependent on the external conditions, but it's dependent on the internal. So it's dependent on the the integrity and the the good heart that each of us have. So it's, uh, in, in the Christian tradition they say, store up your treasure in heaven. So I always think of that as like, you know, you cultivate the good heart now. And that's, that's then, it's like kind of always with you. So regardless of what conditions life brings, that's kind of there. And when you really take refuge in the, the triple gem, in the Dhamma, in awareness itself, in the Dhamma, the nature of things, the changing nature of things, and in the Sangha, which uh, you can think of as, as friendship, or you can think of as uh, those who have already awakened, past and present, you know, recognizing it, it can, there, there is that place of safety, there is that place of, of release and, and joy, which is kind of, in some ways, it's our um, natural inheritance. And uh, even if we haven't found it yet, or even if we've only glimpsed it, that this is this is uh, a, a true place of refuge. It's, it's here. It's kind of waiting for us to rediscover it. So, uh, you know, all of these winds, they blow us left and right, back and forth. And, and uh, just to really know them and know how they feel and be rooted 
in the Dhamma, be rooted in the knowledge of change, of impermanence. And the more deeply you're rooted in the knowledge of impermanence, the more freedom there is, the more interesting it all is, the more open you are to whatever winds might come. So, uh, and just like a tree, when a tree is growing, um, so we have these little, we have a little Bodhi tree at the Vihara, and uh, it's growing indoors, and every now and again it's good to give it just a little shake, just a little shake, and that kind of makes the roots strong. Because if it never, you know, in, in nature it would have maybe animals would brush by and the wind would blow, and it would get challenged a little bit. And then that would make the roots grow stronger. If it never gets those challenges, then the roots don't grow really strong. So it's just the same with the eight worldly winds. If we, if we allow ourselves to feel those winds and don't just get blown around like tumbleweed, then it's like our roots in knowing the way things are get, get stronger and deeper. And then we can meet even very challenging situations with a certain confidence and freedom. And we don't have to live in fear of what might come, recoiling, worrying. But uh, there can be more like of an interest and an an openness to whatever life has in store. So I'd like to offer that. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.